Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Small Council Radio. So, uh, tonight we are going to be talking about kind of a last-minute subject um, that was requested by a handful of uh, people on Facebook. Um, so, with Adepticon being canceled and all the craziness happening, uh, we had like the next six weeks scheduled out, but that's kind of all, you know, probably not going to happen, unfortunately, but... Uh, you know, once uh, DevCon, you know, picks back up or maybe GenCon or something, you know, we'll have a lot more to uh, talk about in the way of competitive uh, gaming. Uh, hopefully you guys were able to um, listen to uh, some of the other, uh, you know, either uh, um, videos or any of the other contents out there talking about the, the big tournament in, uh, where was it, France, Brett, for the 100-man tournament? Yeah, it was in Paris. Uh, it was it was scheduled oh. for a hundred people. They ended up having ninety six, which is still incredibly impressive. Ninety six people playing yeah. Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I really exactly. hope we get to that level in the United States, and I, I think we can do it here in the next uh, year or two. I'm imagining whenever uh, some events start happening, I think people are going to be busting through the doors just to get their themselves, you know, back in physical contact with gamers and coughing on each other's dice and stuff. I'm just kidding about that, but no, seriously, I think when the place is open back up, everybody's going to be so ready to get back in and start rolling some dice in real life with their friends, so I think the first couple of events are, are going to be huge and have some serious uh, turnout, so. Well, to be, uh, to be totally honest, I think we could easily uh, get close, if not more than that, at Adepticon, it's just space. Like, the 60 or 64 spots we had uh, already was already, like, pushing it. Like, Adepticon is already so packed every year that getting seating is not an easy task. It's only because, you know, Martin's awesome and he, you know, he's such an awesome guy and he has some connections that he he was able to kind of get the community some more spots. I truly believe that we could get close, if not more, than uh, what they had over in uh, Paris. But, uh, but yeah. Uh, so tonight we are going to be talking about the five mission, uh, the five competitive missions that you'll see pretty much at every tournament, um, and how it's kind of list build, uh, you know, uh, for them. What each mission, you know, kind of needs in order to get a leg up against your opponent. Um, definitely building to not only what your opponent, like what factions you might see, but missions is a big one. Missions is a lot in my opinion, a lot more reliable to uh, build your list against rather than what you might face because there's only five uh, mission options and you're going to usually see at least three of them. Whereas if you're playing, you know, in a, let's say even like a 20 to 30 person tournament, you know, there's what, seven uh, factions now if you count neutrals and then so many different variations of those factions, it's a lot less reliable to build your list to a faction, though it still is, has its merit. Uh, building your list to missions is a lot more reliable. So that's what we're going to kind of be discussing tonight. Um, for those that don't, uh, that are kind of the first time listening, uh, for this show we do it weekly, uh, every 8 p.m. At, uh, uh, for Central Standard Time. We uh, do this show live so that you guys can kind of call in. So if you're listening to this either right now or after the fact, uh, just know that while we're live, uh, there should be a phone number that you guys can dial in. And uh, we're going to start uh, changing up to where instead of like the end of the show, uh, unless maybe we have some guests or something on, 
uh, we're going to start letting you guys come on as soon as I see you pop on because I've noticed that a lot of you will call in and listen in that way for like five, ten minutes and then drop off before I ever get to that chance to let you on. Um, so, yeah, just call in if you plan if you are wanting to kind of give your uh, – you know, two cents on the subject, and I will definitely do that. Uh, we don't have time to let a ton of people on, but if I see you on and we have time, I'll definitely uh, let you get on and, you know, either ask any of us a question or just, you know, give your two cents. So first up, uh, you know, uh, you know, thank you guys, uh, my co-hosts, for coming on. Tonight we have Brett and Jose, and uh, I think later we might have Justin and Chris uh, we'll see though, but yeah, thank you guys for coming on. You know, you guys are on pretty much every single week. Yeah, no sure. problem. Uh, yeah, no problem. So, uh, first mission we're going to kind of talk about, uh, for those, uh, that are able to follow, I don't know what you guys are doing, if you're painting or whatnot, um, we're going to be going through, uh, Game of Thrones, uh, Clash of Kings, Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons, and Fire and Blood. Uh, and we're going to go right in the order on the app. So if you're following through and you want to just kind of follow that way, you can. Uh, so first up will be Game of Thrones uh, and kind of, you know, way to build your list to, you know, help yourself out with this one. Uh, Brett, what do you think about this one? Uh, Game of Thrones is actually... Um... Well, I mean, it's the it's the perennial scenario, in my opinion. It's uh, it's kind of one that uh, obviously it involves the objective tokens, which uh, guys that aren't used to playing a game that has the objective token uh, aspect, it's a really good scenario to start practicing to get familiar with uh, the other side of the game. So I know that a lot of people, especially the Stark players, right, are incredibly bloodthirsty. And I think that, that some people still kind of get this thing in your head where you have to kill everything or even outkill your opponent. But Game of Thrones is a mission that proves that you can maybe even lose more combat units or, or give up more combat unit points than your opponent does, and you can still win the scenario because it's very much about controlling those objectives and getting to 10 victory points, whether it's by victory through combat or the objectives. Um, I really, really like the change that they made to Game of Thrones where the center of worth two victory points. Um, I think when that was a random choice, um, that game could really be decided pretty quickly if the double victory point was closer to one opponent's table side and it gave too much control to the uh, to the D6 to decide who picks table side. So I'm going to give the uh, developers kudos for making that change there. And uh, yeah, if you want the double victory points, you're going to be front and center right in the middle of the field uh, where everybody's going to be able to get to you, presumably. And uh, then you have to take that panic test at minus two when you score the points from it. So I think from where I'm standing, I'm going to use probably my more defensive list in this scenario, a list that's, that's designed to take a punch and, and hold the point. Um, and I think having multiple combat units is going to benefit you in this scenario as well because you've got five objective tokens, and um, even an insignificant unit like you free folk players, they can sit on an objective and score points. So um, you're going to have Starks running their dire wolves, and you're going to have raiders and those guys running around sitting on these objective tokens. Uh, you've got to kind of be able to hold a point on the field and be able to kind of countercharge when they dogpile on whatever unit you have. So this scenario is interesting. Um, 
I've I've won this scenario more than a few times without ever actually killing a combat unit of my opponents. So it's a scenario that I like. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit interesting. But yeah, there's there's several ways that you can approach it. But um, yeah, that's my my take on that. Is it's it's my more defensive scenario. I'm wanting to get on objective tokens. I'll defend them with a hammer type unit if I have to, but uh, preferably just going to you know score those passive points by controlling objectives. Yeah, I would say exactly what, what you said, Brett. Um, usually in this situation, um, it's something like you said, a more defensive uh, set on tokens. This is not something that I mean, I, in general, I rarely use three MCUs, but this is not something I bring three MCUs to. Um, like you said, you want to have more units on this table. They give you the upper hand um, to fight and hold the objectives. Um, <clears throat> so that's um, yeah. I mean, basically, I just I, I agree with everything that you that you've said. Yeah. So one thing to keep in mind with this mission, uh, you have a potential of uh, six points if you can somehow grab every objective and hold them to the end of round two. Uh, this is the mission, in my opinion, that, you know, if you get an early lead, uh, you know, like four or five, six points in the very first turn, that it's usually, you know, I've never seen someone uh, lose that was able to get five points in the in end of round two because at that point, that means they're on four of the objectives, one of them uh, being the two-pointer. And unless you can get them off most of those objectives, they just have to sit there and wait and just, you know, get those 10 victory points and they're good. So it's definitely something you're, that gives a, a lot of merit to the free maneuver first turn, uh, if, especially if you're a slow army. Starks, uh, with all their speed and even, like, I don't know if I would necessarily say Targaryens. They have a lot of speed, but with them really wanting that charge, uh, it's, it's hard to say that they're going to want to just run up, grab the objectives, being Cav. Uh, so, but Starks, I think, have the biggest advantage, um, maybe Free Folk as well, because Starks have uh, all the speed with still having a lot of hitting power while in combat for infantry units. Whereas, uh, like I was saying, Targaryens, they're going to have the cav, and they can get on the objectives faster than most armies. But, you know, in this mission, it's based on ranks. Uh, so you might be uh, keeping your opponent from getting it because you're on it uh, as Targaryens. But if they're infantry, uh, you have to get them down. If you're at full, you're going to have to at least take a rank off of them. But if they're if you're getting on it first, they're more than likely charging you. Meaning, you know, if they can take you down a rank, now you got to take them down two ranks. It's just, it's it's kind of a hard mission for Targaryens. Um, definitely winnable. But as Targaryens, I think uh, this is a mission where you're going to want a mixture of Cav and some sort of infantry, whether it be the Unsullied when they come out or, you know, some neutrals spliced in in a second list. Uh, definitely keep in mind that, you know, most tournaments, uh, at least major tournaments, you're going to be allowed two lists. And this is, you know, one of those things where if you're encountering, you know, either a mission or whatnot that's really bad for your army, you know, just kind of go into the realm of, you know, 
neutrals or just something that you normally wouldn't play that's going to help you with this because something you might not normally play like neutrals and Targaryens, uh, whether it be like Blackguard or Cutthroats or whatnot, um, it's going to definitely uh, take you a long way. Just keep that in mind. Um, this uh, Also, this mission doesn't have a benefit for a field commander, uh, so definitely uh, some merit to an NCU commander in this mission. Give you more points on the field, because uh, definitely more units will help you with a better chance of grabbing more objectives at once, um, you know, especially if, you know, your Starks. Uh, if you have five combat units, especially if you have some Wolves, if you march past the objectives, if your opponent's being too reserved or they're just too slow uh, on the field, and then you can cap the objectives with the wolves and you know use your combat units as screening units so that they can't attack your wolves. I mean that's, I mean I've had it, fortunately only had it done once to me, but it's devastating when you see that when you see these wolves that yes now they're worth a victory point, but they're sitting on an objective and they're racking up points against you, especially if you can get a wolf on that center one. I mean, a wolf, though you can still fail and be auto-killed from the minus two panic, I mean, it's still a four-up morale. Um, though I guess if you're Lannister, Cersei is definitely a, a power play in that regard that you could, you know, a wolf on a six-up is pretty devastating. Um, but, uh, yeah, so keep that in mind, you know, one list with a field commander maybe and one list with an NCU commander. And then, you know, maybe three NCUs, but, you know, saving those extra points for combat units because I feel like elite lists in this mission uh, are still good, but you definitely have to do some working around to uh, make sure that you make things count because if your opponent is outnumbering you and is able to get on those objectives and just weather your elite attacks, uh, I mean, it might be game over right there. So just definitely be careful in that regard, uh, especially if they have wolves or something that can score that is not really taking up a unit slot, um, then they could uh, focus on, you know, just grabbing some free points every round while they focus what, you know, their real combat units at your elite units and, you know, just things to keep in mind. Um, and like Brett was saying, I definitely agree. Uh, the swapping the middle objective to always be the minus two uh, or the two victory points uh, was an amazing change. Uh, we actually had a house rule for a while where uh, in tournaments, the middle objective, uh, it was kind of the same. Ours was uh, you still randomized all five objectives, but if at any point one of them was the two victory point one, you just simply swapped the middle for the uh, the two, use the middle one with the other one. Um, that way, if the two victory point objective came up, it was in the middle. <clears throat> Otherwise, it was still random. So definitely an amazing change, and uh, props to Simon for that change. Uh, anything else you wanted to add for this one, uh, Brett? Yeah. So the interesting thing with this one is actually um, with as far as the placement of the tokens. Um, so as we get into some of these scenarios that have the objective tokens on the field and some of them that don't. So Game of Thrones, you can actually customize where they're placed on the field. And it kind of gives you another element of control where you can kind of tailor build the field to what you've got going on in your army. So, for example, if you've got your um, a list like what I like to run with Night's Watch, which is four relatively elite units that aren't necessarily moving at the speed of light, 
but they're pretty tanky and strong. I'm probably going to take those two tokens that I get to place, and I'm going to watch what my opponent does. And if I place one pretty close to the center, and he counters by placing one pretty close to the center too, I might either counter by sticking one where I can just stick Ghost and force him to commit some of his combat units that he needs to deal with my veterans, he's going to have to commit at least one unit to go over there and get Ghost, or he's giving me a victory point for the entire game. Then if it doesn't happen, I might just put those tokens relatively close to each other because I believe in my my ability to sit on a point and hold it. So as as you go into this game mode, you need to look at what you've got in your army. Can you really spread the field? Is your army capable of taking the center, holding the center, and or contesting the center, as well as contesting both flanks. If you're not able to do that, you might want to consider where you place your tokens to give yourself some kind of an advantage to where you can do like a a flank heavy on one side, because I think a lot of people make this mistake where their army is not necessarily built to spread the field that way, and they try to like, okay, well, I'm going to put this one unit of veterans in the center or your sworn shields or whatever you have, and then they try to kind of spread everything out. It's like I'm going to have this total board presence, and it just falls apart because a lot of those units aren't meant to function alone. So keep in mind that you can, if it's to your advantage, you can spread the field, or if it's to your advantage, you can compress the field. So um, I, I like this scenario for that, that reason too. Um, you know, the token placement, you can tailor build it to what you've got going on. Yeah, I, I was going to mention too, so with the whole placement of the token thing, so sometimes – I mean, it's obviously situational, but sometimes I think it's interesting when, um, like, you, you sometimes you think, like, okay, I'll just put them closer to my side. But then if you put them too close, like, you have to think, too, that sometimes, like, the, whoever's going to be sitting on them will be out of the fight. So that kind of goes back to, like, what we said earlier, that having more units on the field is beneficial. So things like, like you said, dogs and significant units. So if you do something like that, you can keep them kind of, like, out of the fight, sitting on the tokens, have everything else kind of doing fighting for you. Um, so that's something to look out for, or if you or plan accordingly, I guess. Well, the other thing is they can they can win the dice off and flip the table board on you. If you deployed tokens super close to your deployment zone, thinking that it's going to be your deployment zone, and maybe they don't do that, and then they swap you sides, now maybe they're super close to two tokens, and you're like, crap. So there's actually yeah, but, really a, usually, a lot to think about with that one. Yeah, but usually what happens, usually, like, for example, if, if I prepare for that, Usually the other opponent, I mean, obviously it can happen, but usually they're not as prepared for that. So then, like, if they do flip it, then it just makes it easier for me because I'm only fighting, you know, three units compared to instead of five, essentially. And then I'll just, then eventually they're going to have to leave the token to come fight, or I'll just get to them eventually and wipe them out. So, like I said, unless both of you are prepared for that, which you can you can tell based off of how they place. Like, if they place them closer, then you're obviously both prepared for it. If not, then... They they may they may not even flip it for that reason. Where's what I found at least in my, in my experience. Yeah, I I would say definitely if you're uh, the token placement is a big deal, uh, depending on um, especially depending on where terrain is going and what terrain. Uh, if you're a more elite list and you have less units, you're gonna want to place them all together, them or, or else you're gonna yeah you're gonna uh, 
cluster them together. Otherwise, you're going to run into the situation like Brett was saying. Let's say Brett was your opponent and he's got a wolf, or if he's Starks and he's got wolves, uh, you definitely don't want that one uh, one objective just sitting off in the nowhere. Granted, you know, he has two objectives he's going to get to play, so it's going to happen. But you go, you're going to want to try to uh, factor that. So um, placing second is actually a lot more uh, beneficial because then you are going to get the last say where the last uh, objective goes. Granted, this is something you can't really, you know, uh, force. It's just whoever wins the role is who's placing first. But, uh, yeah, just just know that do your absolute best to cluster them. If you're more elite, you have less units. And if you, you, know, if you have a lot of units, um, especially free ones like wolves, you know, spread them out as much as you can because you'll be able to get some of those, you know, free units to just camp objectives. So, and then they'll be forced to either split their forces or ignore them. Um, and both cases are good for you because if they run after your wolf, you can always maybe get a point from your wolf and then run away if you need to. Uh, and then maybe harass the unit or something. But, uh, but yeah, so definitely keep that in mind. Um, uh, there was one more thing I was going to mention about objectives. Uh, so uh, it's going to escape my mind. So we're going to, I think, move on to the next uh, um, mission here. So next up is Clash of Kings. Uh I don't know. This mission is really fun. Uh, I think, in my opinion, one small tweak would fix basically all the problems it has. Uh, but uh, this is probably the most least competitive of the five that we're going to be talking about. Uh, so my simple fix, in my opinion, would be just change the deployment to six inches. Um, in order, if you do that, then when you get deployed, you're only going to be able to charge when you on the turn you deploy if you're cav and you have six inch move and on a roll of a six. Granted, that's not counting if you have some like free moves or additional move buffs, but at least those are something that you have to add to your unit and you have to use resources, you know, with either influences or cards or something. And, you know, it at least takes away the guaranteed charge for all cav basically. But um, so with that said, there, with this mission, because calves have just an innate advantage of being able to just constantly charge every single time they come back uh, on any unit that's sitting on an objective, is very, very strong. Now, with that said, I've definitely done well um, still with an all-infantry list. Uh, my game against uh, Craig, who's an amazing player, uh, at Indy, he had an all-cav list uh, with three NCUs. He had four cav and three NCUs, and I had um, two wolves and four infantry and two NCUs, and it ended up he won 10 to 9, so it's definitely possible. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like a blowout. You just have to play a little smarter, I suppose. Um, so just keep that in mind, but you really, you're going to have a better chance if you're running at least mostly CAV, if not all. I think a revised list I made for this mission was um, three CAV and one infantry. It was uh, Rob and some Sworn Shields. Uh, 
and then uh, Rob Commander and some Sworn Shields. Um, what was it? Uh, one Outrider and two Knight, or two uh, Cavaliers, and then uh, I you what was that? So uh, six, seven, nine, nine, eighteen. Um, 25, 31, so that left nine points. I believe I took Walder and then Varus as my two NCUs. And even though it's not very starky to have that, uh, I just wanted some more control since I only had uh, five, uh, four real combat units, and then I had the free wolf. But, uh, you know, even running just mostly Cav and then, like, one infantry is still really good, too. And the reason I ran, like... Uh, Sworn Shields instead of, because uh, I could have downgraded Walder to another four-point NCU and made them like uh, the Sworn Shields Berserkers. I wanted uh, more of a defensive unit that could just sit on the objective and weather charges from Cav over and over again with uh, Rob's Disorderly and the Shield Wall and the three-up save. So um, definitely keep that in mind when building lists for this mission. is uh, This is, I think, if you know this mission is going to be in there, uh, this is probably the biggest mission, in my opinion, to um, to tailor for, because unless you already are naturally running a lot of cav in your main list, then I guess you don't really have to worry about it. But if you're only running like a cav, maybe two, you're probably going to want to run at least three cav for this list, in my opinion, because that gives you one cav for every objective that's on the field. What do you think, Jose? <clears throat> um, coming, coming, coming from a guy who's playing Baratheons who doesn't have a caption. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hang on, uh, Jose. Uh, we have Justin with us now. Uh, hang on, it's loading. All right, hey Justin, thanks for uh, coming on. I know you had a lot of stuff you had to deal with. What if I was a different Justin? How'd you know it was me? Uh, because you've been on enough times, it tells me uh, your name. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I just <laughs> new thing going on. Awesome. So Thanks what are we talking about? Uh, yeah, so, so we're talking, we're talking about right now about uh, Yeah, we're on we're on Clash of Kings right now. Oh, okay, I gotcha. Yeah, go um, ahead. Dave, what was I'm sorry, what was your what was your question, Dave? I'm so sorry. Well, I was just saying, uh, you know, coming from you know, you play Baratheons almost exclusively at the moment. Um coming from a player who doesn't have any cav options other than flayed men who are arguably not worth their points, depending on who you ask. Uh, what do you think about this mission, especially when it comes to, you know, your situation? Um, yeah, so like you said, in general, I would say two to three cav is probably a good idea for this one. But in my situation where I don't have any cav, um well, I mean, what I tend to do is typically I just assume that they're going to get there first, um, and then just something I kind of have to just deal with. Um, so, I mean, if and then the other thing too is like, uh, so I tend to try to grab the horse as quickly as possible just so that they can't get it because I'm already I'm already going to be super slow. Um, and then what I try to do is. Um, Usually, I don't like to do this with Baratheons, but I'll try and charge them first. So, like, because if they get the objective first, I'm going to hit them with, you know, um, the Sentinels or even Stag Knights because I run Stannis in them with Critical Blow. Um, just something, um, you know, to get their ranks down. Uh, and then eventually, you know, eventually, I, I usually end up taking them, you know, taking the objectives eventually because. 
Um, I, I think this is a mission that, in my opinion, a lot of people don't build correctly for. Like, I, and I think we've mentioned it before, too. Like, with these objective-based missions, I think you have to really plan to just grab the objectives. And I think, I think it's in this type of game and miniature war gaming in general, it's, it's hard to not focus on just like crushing the opponent. So, you know, someone who runs up there with like a glass cannon or they have their list, that's like primarily like attacky and stuff. Like, what are you going to get there before I am, but then what, you know what I mean? Um, So that's usually, usually what I do is so like, I'll end up having to charge them first, uh, you know, knock their ranks down, um, and then I'll tend to, be, I, you know how I play, I, I usually turtle anyways. So like usually one side, I'll just give it to them and I'll focus on the middle and whatever other side I think is strongest, but I'll be, I'll be strongest on. So that that way, uh, again, that's one unit I don't have to worry about. Right. So like, okay, fine. You get to one point, but if I could overcome everything else, I'll pass you up eventually, but I'll let you take that one point, keep that unit out of my, out of my way. And then I'll focus every, all my fire on, just like two objectives um and then yeah that's that's just the way i and then once once i get you off of it like if i'm able to take out a unit or whatever or like tag team someone and take something off you know you throw wardens on there or anything defensive uh if you don't play black you have any defensive it's going to be tough for them to come back because now they got to come up the field and all sorts of stuff and even if they have the opposite token of you um you're still like like, I don't know, people people think, like, oh, I'm going to just come up behind them. But, like, in reality, like, I can still deploy stuff from my side and then just end up charging you anyways, like, on your side or something. So, like, I don't know. Usually, if you're playing, like, a slower slower army with no cav, just anticipate they're going to get there first. Um, hit them. You know, you're going to end up – you're going to get the charge off if they get there first because they're not going to leave the token. So, you're, you're going to get the charge off. And then I would say um, this, might be, this might be just my personal take, but just turtle. I, you know, I turtle over the one side, and then that usually works out for me, you know. So I, I don't really tend to have a problem with this mission, essentially. It's just a very different approach, especially with an army with no cav. Um, this might change once the Baratheon cav comes out. Um, I, might, I mean, I don't know what they're going to do, but I'm assuming they're going to also be defensive. So they may be fantastic for this mission if they're, like, a cavalry that's really defensive. So they're going to hit the both hammers. Yeah, <laughs> we'll see when we get there. But, uh, but that, that's that's usually how I handle that, though. So Jose, uh, one more question. Uh, you know, I know you're mostly just a Stannis player, and even like in tournaments, you know, you'll make a Renly list just as like a decoy. Um, but yep. what would you say for this mission? Would you say uh, who has more of the advantage? With, if we're just talking about the two commanders available at this moment, um, Stannis with his better offense or Renly for the better defense? So Stannis will give you that power to, if they get there first, which they're probably going to, you'll be able to punch into them. Or, you know, punch into them with Renly, who's a bit weaker, and then maybe get them off of it. So that way, once you're on it, you'll be able to heal and, you know, keep them off of it once you finally take it. Uh, so in my opinion, and then, you know, not cause I'm biased towards Stannis, but, um, I think <laughs> Stannis is better. I think Stannis, I am, I am, but I'm trying not to be right now in this advice I'm giving. But, I gotcha. um, I, I do think that Stannis is better only because Baratheons are naturally a really defensive army. So I think that if you could get that punch to get them off the token, cause even if you're Renly, whether you're Renly or Stannis, they're going to get there first. So, 
I think if you get that punch to get them off and put you back on, they're still going to have a tough time. Like, yeah, if you're Renly, they may have a tougher time, I guess, getting you off. But, you know, I think I think Renly really shines in missions that are more combat-based, like, um, you know, Fire and Blood and stuff like that. You know, something that's a little more combat-based. Um, anything, anything with tokens, I mean, that especially when we start that, you know, 12 inches, um, they're, you know, like I said, they're going to get there first. So, in my opinion, I think Stannis is a little better uh, for this for this situation. Yeah, I see. I agree. I think uh, definitely the extra punch would be, because you never know, if they're real defensive, uh, Renly might never be able to get them off, and then you might be exactly. just stalled all game. But, uh, it's a gamble. Uh, I mean, like, if, you're able, if you're able to pull it off, I was going to say, if you're able to pull it off, like, yeah, you're going to like, pull the tokens for sure. But pulling it off is the hard part when you're playing as Renly. That's that's the thing. Yeah. I think it's... Uh, uh, next... Oh. How's it, I had uh, something next to say question about was that. actually for Justin. Oh, oh no. Um, but uh, if you want to add your... I'm going to ask a question. If you want to add what you're going to say first and then answer the question uh, just so I can get it out there. Uh, I was wondering, yeah. as a neutral player, Justin, uh, I know you're not really too fond of the Flademan at this moment, but what would you say to Flademan in just specifically Clash since... Uh, you'll be able to get those charges off to get at least those benefits more often than you normally would in other missions. Uh, well, I've played this mission since the update without Flademan and without a heavy cab list, and it was it was sad. Uh, it's not <laughs> even a fight, honestly. Uh, it's just such a ridiculous advantage at this point, and with neutrals not being defensive in the slightest, unless you count Blackguard, which <laughs> normally don't do anything. And when I played that game, actually, the Blackguard did the best. <laughs> they got like a six-inch <laughs> charge and did a lot of damage. It was weird. Uh, but I think I would still have to go with a very Flademan-heavy list because it's not even a small advantage for Calvary in this mission, in my opinion. It's a ridiculous advantage. It's almost like if you put besides maybe Baratheons who've got the defensive push, but if you put Calvary against almost any other army, they're going to win. And every army's got amazing Calvary too. Um, so I yep. think I would have to, I would, I really just don't want to play it at tournaments, but yeah, I'd have to bring a Flademan heavy list for this until, well, with the Zorse Sprider change, I might have hope there or not change, but different than what we originally saw. Uh, with them hitting on threes. Not my favorite unit yet, but maybe. Ah, they're just so squishy, though. It's hard. <laughs> they just go poof. Uh, but with what I was going to say, I thought it was funny that Jose said, um, if you're defensive, you can, uh, or if they're really aggressive, what are they going to do? Get there first and just hold the line. And I did, when you have squishy units, it's really hard to do. But remember that game we played at your house, Dave? <laughs> it was yeah. like, uh, I had like four flayed men. And I think like a bastard's girl or something like that, or not played men, uh, cutthroats. And he had just all wardens, I think, right? <laughs> yeah. With uh, and I the, got there first. <laughs> yeah, I got there first, and I literally just took a beating the entire game. Like I never got to swing back. I was just healing and trying to stay alive. When I swung, I was hit with like four dice, but I ended up winning because I held the objective. <laughs> My poor yeah, guys were so devastated. Though. <laughs> <laughs> wardens yeah. don't really don't wardens don't bring that punch though. That's that's the problem. Oh, the they punch enough to the... kill a cutthroat. <laughs> with lieutenants, they do. definitely with lieutenants they do. Six of save, seven morale. Not a pretty day. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. 
So definitely keep that in mind when uh, uh, building for this uh, mission. It's definitely uh, something to, that's going to help you. Um, though keep in mind this is also a mission where ranks, uh, you know, it's based on ranks if you can test. Uh, so CAV will have a disadvantage in that regard, but it it's a small disadvantage for the fact that they are always getting those first, you know, essentially first turn charges, the, the char you know, charging right when they uh, come on. So I think uh, just changing it to six inches would make it, you know, it would fix a ton of the problems because the fa uh, the chances of you charging uh, every single time you come on the board is going to be a lot less likely. Um, so, all right, uh, next up we're going to uh, discuss a Feast for Crows. Uh, this mission took a while for me to warm up to it. I liked the way it was. Uh, just, need, uh, just needed a small um, tweak, but the way they changed it, like I said, I warmed up to it, and I definitely like it. Um, though I think the uh, only thing I would change is that when a unit dies, the first two units that die that give corpse files, uh, should be within short range. I feel like long lets you throw it way too far back into your own deployment to let units capture it there um, and promotes more of like a, a turtling if you your two units uh, die really quickly. Um, I actually won a mission in Indy uh, where uh, first turn my opponent destroyed two of my units throwing two objectives on my side, and then I just kind of turtled back onto them, and I won. Uh, but had they only been within short range, I probably would have lost because I would have had to committed more uh, towards my opponent. But uh, as far as, like, what to build for this, uh, because it's not based on uh, ranks, it's based on, um, you know, you once you pick it up, you're controlling it, and you only lose it if you die or fail a... Uh, is it panic or morale? Um, it's I want to say it's a, I'm not going to say. Test. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. It's uh, if you fail a panic test. So this is definitely a mission where you're going to want. Um, I feel like a more elite list is going to work really well here with high morale or low morale, however you want to you know look at it. Good morale. Um, Better morale. Because if you, yeah. So. Especially like Tully Cav, even though if you don't get the charge with them, them having that five up morale being Cav to jump on the objectives like instantly and a three up save is going to be pretty big. Especially if you can, uh, if you're rolling random terrain, if you can get a tree to try to counteract those corpse files, uh, or if you're still playing where you pick your uh, um, pieces. And you just you know pick two trees. You know the corpse piles can't stack. So even if your opponent picks two corpse piles, it's not really gonna do anything that isn't already happening to you. So uh, definitely uh, high morale elite lists I think will be amazing uh, for this uh, mission. What do you think, uh, Brett? Or I, for, I guess I forgot to ask if you had anything to add on that last mission. If you wanted to throw it in there. Oh, I was just gonna add the. Um... I know that cavalry, are, cavalry ugh, are problematic in that scenario, but keep in mind that um, sometimes the best strategy for dealing with cav, especially um, lance cav like Knights Castle Rock and Tully Cav, knock their asses down to one rank and then just don't kill them. Just I know it's counterproductive in your mind, but 
If you don't kill them, they can't come back to life and get another free charge. If you can bog them down and hold them down without killing them, you might be better off in that scenario, um, just in that one. But I tried to do that with Bastard Girls, and it didn't work. But that's their six of sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but yeah, because you, you poke Bastard Girls with a pillow and they die. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, that said, it's, it's also free folk. Um, and I guess now the, the Night's Watch conscript horde, that's problematic in that scenario, too. So um, I'll pick on the free folk because, you know, you everybody knows that Brett, Brett has a fear of free folk, okay? It's not that I hate them. So much as I hate them because I'm afraid of them. Okay, he hates them. <laughs> the fear manifests into hatred. But uh, no, it's because they can and they can have like eleven, twelve, thirteen activations, and um, in a scenario where they that it you bring them on, and then that's one turn, and then they get to activate, and that's another turn. They, the free folk player can have like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen turns, and it gets crazy. In a, in a tournament where you're trying to have limited rounds and uh, some people play a little bit slower than others. I'm not saying people necessarily slow play on purpose, but I can see a free folk game going to like maybe round three or four in that scenario. I just really hate having unfinished games and, uh, you know, always imagining, well, what would have happened if we had actually gone to round six, you know? So, but that said, that's one way of dealing with cavalry is, is to just not kill them and then they can't come back to life and get the free charge. Um, as far as uh, Feast for Crows, it's, yeah, um, your high morale units are going to do really well. Um, this is one scenario where I'll say for my, my fellow Lannister players, because there's still a Lannister somewhere here on the inside, even though I'm playing Night's Watch now. Um, Lannister's really, they're going to do well in this scenario for a couple <laughs> of reasons. Number one, the guard captain. For one point, you're sticking your Lannister guard, presumably, but they're not the only unit that can benefit from a guard captain. Mountain's men aren't terribly defensive, as Justin cusses in Mountain's men when he looks at his five-point cutthroat compared to the I, Mountain's men. I love but, fighting Mountain's men. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but, you know, Mountain's men are a little bit more defensive, right? That one point of, def- of armor makes oh, it matters a difference. Oh, it matters, for sure. But, uh, no, you can, put a, you can throw a guard captain in your Mountain's men, you can throw a guard captain in your halberd. You can throw a guard captain in any infantry unit that you want. And in that scenario, they're going to have to effectively make you fail two panic checks to get that token away from you. Because the first one that you fail, you get a free pass, right? Because the warding That's on the if guard you captain. Fail. Yes, if you fail. The first one that you fail, right, that you would fail, because of the warding on the order, you actually pass. So... It's interesting. So, and, and, and obviously they did that on purpose to trigger things like Lannister supremacy, but instead of saying, like, kill a guy and take no more casualties, you actually pass the panic test so you don't drop the token. The other reason is uh, skull word is a really powerful keyword, and they have a damn NCU that effectively hands out skull word to any unit that he wants. So you can get that plus two morale boost from the High Sparrow, and then on the other side of that, you've got Searcy making it much easier for them to bomb their panic test. So you can reserve Searcy for the crown, which kind of goes into that play where you're controlling what they have to do because it's like, well, I don't want to take a panic check with this unit that's holding this token at a minus three, so I have to take the crown away from the Lannisters. Well, odds are you probably didn't want the crown, so now the Lannisters are making you play their game. Um, so I think Lannisters are strong in that scenario. 
Uh, Boltons also, with the ability to hand out panic tokens with Ruth, are going to be pretty strong in that scenario in that they can they can do things to make you drop the token after you've activated, and then you don't have the opportunity to go pick it back up. And that's part of the game within the game in this scenario is uh, playing that panic game. So this is a mission where you can go vicious heavy or panic heavy, or you can do everything that you can to resist <clears throat> panic, like Dave said, and bring those berserkers with morale four, uh, veterans with morale five, and uh, Stark with their plethora of stalwart attachments <laughs> to help them pass these panic tests. Oh, or if you're Targaryen. Yeah, tar- well, Targaryens have a damn card that just makes them pass every panic test that round, so that's nice. But it is, it's a card, <laughs> so I mean, that's better. But, um, no, that's, that's the thing with this scenario. Um, Commander's worth two points. I think the general idea is going to take uh, like a Brendan Tully-led uh, Sworn Shields unit, get them on the token, and hold on for dear life. So um, you can play it one of two ways. You can be the guy that tries to disrupt them from the token and, and start doing some killing, or you can build a list where you're designed to hold on to those tokens. Um, I do like this scenario. Uh, one point I wanted to make is that uh, keep in mind that this mission does have the plus one victory point if your commander is on the objective. Um, but, uh, there is some merit, uh, definitely a lot of merit, to taking the High Sparrow or uh, Roos NCU commanders. Even though you'll lose out on that benefit, they add a lot to uh, disrupting your uh, opponent um, with their, uh, you know, with taking, with giving the stalwart basically the plus two morale. And if you com- combine it with Cersei, or even Roos combined with Cersei, if you're running Lannister slash neutrals, or even just neutrals. Um, so running those definitely uh, gives a lot of benefit to, uh, you know, running an MCU commander. But keep in mind, if you're not running those, I don't uh, – a lot of the other MCU commanders, I don't feel like add enough to your list to take over a field commander in this mission. Uh, one of, like, the absolute best commanders, in my opinion, for this mission is Blackfish, uh, just because he is a commander that also gives Stalwart uh, or even Jor or Mormont. Uh, is amazing as well, giving uh, that stalwart and being a commander, a field commander, uh, especially if you can, you know, draw on vets, you know, a three-up morale, and then get on that corpse pile, get the objective, you're still four-up morale with a three-up defense save, and, you know, he has cards to auto-pass it, uh, for himself while you're sitting there ticking away with two points. Uh, same with uh, Brennan Tully, if you throw him in some berserkers, you know, granted, I like him kind of better in Great Axes, but Berserkers, they have a two-up morale, three-up on that course pile, and then every time they pass that uh, a morale test, they're getting a wound back, and then he has enough healing and defensive cards that uh, can definitely keep that five-up save unit alive uh, to really just... Because um, remember, even if your opponent has more ranks than you, that doesn't apply in this mission. It's only if you die or fail a panic. And the chances of you failing a panic, they're going to have to outright kill you. And that whole time, you're going to be getting two victory points at the end of every round, starting with round two. What do you I think, think Jose? I think Jarwick has a little no, no. bit of merit He's got the recyclable card that you can bring back over and over again, and you can go cherry pick uh, that gives a unit vicious. And so you can just keep, you, like if you've got a unit across those, they're a long-range vicious farm. So that's almost as good 
as uh, claiming the crown. So just a, just a point there. You know, if you fire into a unit with Vicious, uh, they're at a minus three being on the corpse pile. So it's similar to a crown bomb from Susie. No, that's definitely back. a good point that I didn't think of. Uh, I think in that case, though, you're probably going to want three NCUs just because you're going to reliably or uh, consistently wanting to swap the board uh, with getting a card. Granted, you know, you could definitely make uh, make do with only two. I just think to, if you're going to have a replacement NCU, you're definitely going to want three. And Night's Watch want a lot of the spots anyways, so if you can fit three in there, even if it's like Craster, him, and you know, someone else uh, to just save on points there as well. He could do that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it uh, looks like Jose had to step away for a second. We'll, uh, we'll jump back to him in just a second. Uh, what no! do you think, uh, Justin? Jose left on sad. Um, so, obviously, I play an army that's superbly vicious heavy. Uh, in fact, I pretty much just play Bolton, so I have vicious on everything. We don't count black card. Uh, so it is really nice because it's easy to get them off the objective. However, at the same time, uh, I don't I don't play Blackguard very much because I don't feel like they fit uh, the Boltons. I mean, I don't think they're the greatest unit, but I also don't think they're worthless. But Boltons specifically are a very high aggressive, high damage army, and uh, you know those attacks just don't cut it for what they play wise. So I'm always having to leave you know Blackguard or um, Basswood Girls. I've incorporated some Stormcrow Mercs for that plus one armor, and that's helped out a bit, uh, especially because they're only five points. Usually they don't even attack. They just sit back. Um, that helps. But I I can easily usually uh, get someone off of objectives. That's never a problem. It's just holding them. Uh, I, too, had to get used to it. Um, I can't say I disliked it at first, because the old... Um, I had a bad taste in my mouth for the old way it was, because that game we played, Dave... That you know you had like what two two models of berserkers left, not even two units, just two models, and I had like yeah. four units of cutthroats, and I lost the game because I failed every charge except the last one, which then you set for charge and killed them. Yeah, no, I actually <laughs> set for charge twice in a row. I think uh, I ended up killing I think every one of your units except for maybe one. But yeah, and that unit that was at two ended the game. To be fair, like I killed wounds. my units. Yeah, <laughs> you killed your units, and then, yeah, so. Um, but uh, I like the new one. It's nice that uh, it's limited to four um, course files, although with the D3 plus two and two course files, for whatever reason, I always get th- five pieces of terrain and the course files, so it gets a little out of hand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a lot of terrain on the field, but... No, I, I don't think I've ever had it. That's definitely, actually, I guess one of my favorite ones, which I suppose is, makes sense as a Bolton player. Should be, right? Yeah. So, um, I think it's uh, safe to jump on to the next one here. Uh, we're going to go on to A Dance with Dragons. So this one, uh, very similar in the sense of it's it's almost kind of in between them um, uh, for objective purposes, it's almost kind of right in between Clash and uh, Feast, in the sense that Clash, you're going to have the three objectives all kind of placed uh, just slightly different, um, but there's three just in the center, but these ones you pick up, uh, this one we will must be talking about be hands. Yeah, what, did I say something different? Oh, no, I didn't hear what you said. 
Oh, gotcha. Yeah, if I I don't know if maybe I skipped saying what we're on, but yeah, we're uh, we're gonna talk about Dance with Dragons. Um, so it's a, a foot deployment, so 12 inches, and uh, this is another one where you're gonna pick up the objectives, and you can only lose them if you fail a panic or if your unit dies. Uh, and then your commander is also going to give uh, an additional victory point. Um, so definitely a field commander, in my opinion, unless maybe, you know, like we were mentioning before, if you run Roos uh, and or Sparrow or Cersei or, you know, just some way to manipulate uh, morale enough that you can make, uh, make up for not having that field commander is definitely worth it. But I feel like, uh, like Howland is probably a bad choice for this mission um, just because that extra victory, you only need 10 victory points if you're going to four, if you're playing 40 points and um, 10 victory points isn't super hard to do in a lot of cases. So that extra victory point goes a long way. Um, so with 12 inch deployment, also keep in mind that a 12 inch, uh, um, 12 inches, like whether it be a March or free maneuver and then like a maneuver or something um, is, going to get you to at least uh, touch the objective, and that's all you have to do in order to claim it. Uh, so, like, Berserkers or any six-inch movement is very strong in this mission. So, uh, if you're a Stark player, keep in mind, you know, your Berserkers are going to be amazing here. Uh, any Cav will obviously get it, too, but remember with your Cav, uh, when you claim these objectives, uh, your movement goes down to a two, like your move stat, not your move, like, distance. So you can you can have like a, a move stat two and then plus something. Uh, for you example, can't like if you plus these though. Uh, well, these I mean specifically say not, you can never modify them or increase them, right? You can't modify the move stat. So that's why, like, if you retreat, you go your move oh, stat yeah, yeah. plus inches. So yeah, yeah you yeah, can't yeah. modify the move stat. But if you have something that says, okay, two, your move stat is two, but then plus X amount of inches, not, you know, so it'll show that symbol. So, like, I'm trying to, like, describe it enough for you, those that are listening out there. So if you have something that specifically adds a number value and then the inch uh, um, inches, that will increase the distance. So, for example, like I already mentioned, the retreating will still work. Uh, it's just that things that increase the move stat, so the foot symbol, uh, don't work. So with Cav, you're, uh, it's going to really severely limit your movement, and it's going to take away, you know, you're paying for those points in your Cav, you know. The fact that you have the uh, free maneuver and, you know, moving extra fast, uh, you're going to lose out on that if you grab them with these. So six-inch movement units are amazing for this mission, especially ones that are either super, like, offensive or, you know, fairly defensive um uh or if you're i even if you're like a five inch movement but if you have a way to uh increase your movement just until you grab the objective because it won't uh if you can grab it right away uh it won't influence your movement until after after you've already captured it so uh if you have like a swift advance uh that'll work or if you have um uh uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Daenerys, I don't know if she only works on Cav, but if she goes on, like, an infantry unit, uh, she could give that plus one move to a five-inch movement unit to that way they can march 12 and then grab an objective. And that can be very strong. Even though you're not going to score in the first round, having that uh, objective, especially with a high morale unit uh, beginning of the game, it goes a long way. 
again, another, uh, you know, thing with uh, running Blackfish with Stalwart on, like, Berserkers. Berserkers, 12-inch move, grab it. Now you're at a two-up morale, and if there's no corpse pile around, I mean, you auto-pass without, like, Vicious or something similar. Um, and, you know, as long as you can play super defensive, uh, even if they, uh, another strategy to do, if you get then charged, uh, you could take the maneuver and free retreat your two inches plus D6. If you can roll in a six, you're moving eight inches away, enough distance to then throw a unit in between, uh, in between you and who just charged you. So that way your commander can just, you know, kind of fall back and slowly gain you two points every round. Um, so definitely uh, something to keep in mind uh, that you can kind of still manipulate the movement a bit. What do you think, uh, Jose? I know you had to um, step away for a second. Oh, no. Oh, no. Jose. Is he muted? Where'd you go? No, he's still here. All right. Uh, Brett, what do you think? Uh, this is another scenario. I just, I generally like this scenario. Um, uh, I think a lot of the time um, people go for that one NCU token. Obviously it's incredibly uh, powerful to be able to shut down an NCU as soon as you claim it. Um, I think in a lot of ways you can use that to your advantage though. Um, If you can tell that they're putting their um, best units over on that side of the table to kind of go for that, put your commander on the opposite side and go pick the other one up. I know it sucks losing an NCU, but if they're putting maybe a unit that's not their commander, then you're up on them two to one. You kind of just abandon that NCU, like, boom, take that, your movement too. Good luck getting over here. And then you can kind of create a mismatch on the other side of the vulnerable weekend, and maybe you can get a unit to pick up that center token, and then you're up on them three to one just in the static scoring, defend that side of the field and kind of hold that down. Um, I think it's a really good point, not to interrupt you. Uh, I've done that before. Uh, cause sometimes you can afford to let your NCUs go away, uh, such as like any time NCUs or like the start of the turn for me, it happened. And sorry to interrupt you. I just, it's a really good point. Um, no, you're good. with, with Varus, I had Varus and Tycho. And so I just automatically assumed that I wouldn't be able to stop my opponent from getting over there. Cause he placed a bunch of units heavy. So I focused on the other side of the table. And it's not always the best idea, but I popped Varus's tokens as quick as I could because I knew he was going to get shut off. Uh, and then I ended <laughs> up using Tycho as quick as I could too, and it worked out amazingly for me because I, I was able to... Varus's tokens just bought me the time I needed to get a strong lead on the other side, and Tycho just healed before he could be shut off. So, like, what did he do? He shut off nothing? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely, I agree. I think uh, I think a lot of times it's worth... Uh, you know, if, if they're, if you can, if you can read their deployment, if they're, if they're showing their cards and uh, you can kind of play them out and see what they're doing and they're putting all of their stuff on that side of the field where the NCU is, then you can, you can go ahead and uh, counter deploy on the other side. Yeah. I think there's a lot of merit to it. it sucks losing an NCU, but you know what? Uh, it, they, Starks can kill your NCU. So you got to get used to that idea anyway, right? <laughs> Um, another thing I want to point out in this scenario. Now, I don't have an official CMON response to it. 
and maybe we can bring this question up and get the official answer, but I'm like 99.9% positive that I'm right on this. It has been brought to my attention that a lot of people that play this scenario play the scenario where they place the three tokens the distance that they're supposed to be. They place the center token because it never changes, and then they wait until the roll to see who's player one, and then they place the NCU token and the vulnerable weekend token from the perspective of player one. And I think that's wrong. Player one, not first player. So the player one and player two that they're giving you is just the perspective to set up the field. Like it, they would have been just as well to leave no player there. I think people assume that when, if you look in the picture of the scenario to see what I'm talking about, it shows player one. And then to his left, it's ABC, right? So they think they automatically think, well, ABC is decided by who's first player from their viewpoint. That's not the way it's done. Once you set those tokens down, you assign objectives to it, and then you deploy accordingly. You can still switch table sides, but you don't ever switch what token is where. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I definitely see what you're saying. I, I've always played it uh, the way you're, the other way that you're referring to. Um, but, I mean, I see both sides yeah, of it, and I definitely could see it being ruled either way, and I wouldn't have a problem with either way, uh, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I think, think both kind of add an element of uh, strategy. I think player one, though, is not first player. First player is a defined term in the rule book that's boldened. Player one is just telling you how to set the game mode up. Because the problem is, like what Justin and I are talking about, if you set up your army to, like, say you want to go heavy on the MCU side, and then your opponent beats you on the roll and then flip-flops the side, and now you're deployed heavily, they basically they screwed you by winning that roll-off. And I don't think that it was meant to be that way. I think when you deploy to know what token is where, just like in every other game mode, you know what token is where when you deploy. So I don't know why Dance with Dragons would be different. And I think people get hung up on that player one in that picture, but player one is not synonymous with first player. First player is the defined term. So, but I'm not going to sit and argue with you guys about it. Maybe we can get an official. Brett, you need a chill. Brett's wrong all the time, so it's all right. Yeah, everything's his well, thing, right? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Uh, we we can move on. What? We can move on because we don't we don't have the time to debate it. And uh, we'll I'll actually work on taking that question over to the forums, and maybe we can get Michael or uh, or Fabio or one of the other Simon gurus to answer that, and then we'll know the official answer to that. But that said, I think I pretty much said what I want to what I want to say about the scenario. What you so, didn't talk at all? Oh uh, well, one thing I want. It's similar to Feast for Crows. It's got the panic mechanism, and you've got benefits to having the order of at any cost. And uh, on the counter side to that, you've got Circe. This is another scenario where um, Roos and the High Sparrow in particular, um, not having their field presence can be mitigated because they're able to mess with the, uh, with the morale in a way that you can influence the game enough to where maybe it doesn't matter. Uh, for example, the Faith Militant, if they manage to get on an objective, uh, you're pretty much going to have to kill them to a man to take that token from them. Because they're not going to fail a morale test and drop it and hand it to you. So, um, yep. Obviously, this one has a bonus for having a field commander, so a lot of people are going to err to that side and want to get their field commander on there to score double victory points. But don't be overly afraid to play an NCU commander, uh, particularly if it's the High Sparrow. 
and uh, maybe slightly Yarwick again in this scenario because of his ability to toss out Vicious. But uh, I think Roos and the High Sparrow have some merit in this scenario. So one thing I want to point out before we move on to the last uh, mission for this one, um, if you do uh, find yourself uh, against Faith Militant in this mission, remember there's three objectives, so it's an odd number. Um, Faith Militant lists, uh, I've yet to see one that wasn't High Sparrow, so keep in mind if they don't have a field commander, if you can get your field commander on one objective, you're at least tying the number of points that are being scored every round. Uh, So I would make that a huge focus. So if you can in deployment, try to put your field commander in a position where he's going to be able to easily get uh, one of the objectives before your opponent, probably one of the side ones, because you don't want him easily accessible in the middle uh, for your opponent to try to take it away. That way, worst case, if they do grab the other two, you're at least uh, breaking even throughout the game, and it gives you a lot more of a chance. Whereas, uh, if they can grab two and you only can grab one, uh, it's going to be an uphill battle because chances are they're not going to lose them unless you kill them, and they have a lot easier chance of making you drop your one objective that you have. So just keep. And if they take it from you, that's even worse because now you know, like Brett was saying, once they have them, they have them until they die. So uh, especially if you can get a commander that has stalwart and grab it and just hold it. Um, you'll definitely be in a good position uh, to at least uh, make it a close fight, if not, uh, you know, pull out a win. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to point out, some uh, this doesn't happen that often, but a little uh, confusion with Clash of Kings and this mission. So each mission has three objectives. Each has one in the middle, then two on the side of that. Dance is the two side objectives are short range from the board edge. And in Clash, it's within long range of the uh, center objective. So it's only the matter of like two or three inches difference, but it does, it, you know, it is something to note because I've noticed some people think that it's the same for both missions. Um, but uh, we're going to jump on to our last mission here and kind of wrap everything up with Fire and Blood. Uh, this is the one and only objective or mission uh I believe, out of every single mission um, that does not have a single objective in it, uh, with maybe the exception of Storm of Swords that um, no one plays for competitive. But uh, (laughs) so (laughs) uh, so this one, again, it's a field commander bonus, which is whenever your commander activates, uh, you can pass out a victory point to someone within long. Uh, This one, in my opinion, is... uh, not only because people tend to forget it a lot, but also because you can't start doing it right away. So normally you're passing out, I don't know, maybe three throughout the game. Uh, It's, in my opinion, not as uh, beneficial as the plus one victory point if you're holding an objective Um, because you then, even though you're passing them out, it's not guaranteed that you're going to get them. You're going to have to then kill that unit that you pass it out to. So uh, and what I'm getting at is that if you wanted to run an NCU commander in this list, it's definitely a lot more viable, in my opinion, than in running it in some of the other lists uh, or in the other missions, which give you a, a bonus for having a field commander on an objective. So uh, what do you think uh, about this mission, Jose? Uh, <clears throat> in general, it's one of my favorites. Uh, and then I, I get your point that you know, you could run the NCU and it's, but I, I, NCU commander, but I like running the, 
a field commander better. Um, obviously, because you dish out the extra tokens and stuff. Um, this this mission, I think, is a lot of fun because I think it allows people to bring um, really like just killy, like just killy units, um, and it's it's the the most just straight. It's like uh, I guess I don't know how to phrase it, but I guess like the most traditional like miniature war game style almost, right? Where there's no objectives, and it's just like my army against yours. Um, so I really like that. Um, I think with the new change with marked units too, where like the, the unit that's marked gets plus two attacks is huge. It changes the game a lot. Um, I think because you have to really think of where to put it. Because before, I feel like everybody would just like target the weakest unit and be like, all right, cool, I'm gonna just put it there and just take the you know get the make them marked. Um, but now with plus two dice, I mean it's it's tough, especially against a, a list that's like a, an elite list. You, know, you bring you bring all elite units. Like if sometimes your opponent has a tough time even deciding where to put the marks. You know the the, the who to make marks essentially, um, which is I, it, it it can make be difficult, but it's fun. Um, and then um, I think I think it rewards players. It's the most rewarding uh, mission for elite list. I think. So, Agreed. Yeah. My, so. my, yeah. That's, that's, my, that's probably my take on it. Um, this is like I said, it's competitive, but it's the mo- I think it's the most fun competitive mission, and then it's really like I said, and really rewarding for for elite units. So. Yep, I agree. So definitely, when you're list building for this one, uh, this is probably like you were saying the the best mission for an elite list, uh, and gives you uh, incentive to not run any like weak links. Um, so, like, my initial main list had, like, uh, one Great Axe, two Berserkers, and uh, one Sworn Sword, but uh, I took some of the points away from my attachments to turn that Sworn Sword into another Berserker uh, to help with this mission, um, because when I had that Sworn Sword, they were an easy mark for my opponent, uh, but then when I changed it, they had no good option. Uh, and because of people's fear of great axes, they just almost always just mark two uh, two berserker units. Which, I mean, I mean it's a no-win scenario in that case, and it definitely gives merit to having an elite list. And hurts more of like a horde uh, horde list that doesn't have like any super hard-hitting units. Um, but uh, I'm going to introduce uh, Chris right now. He uh, he was able to make it on. Uh, Glad to have you on, Chris. What do you uh, think about this mission? So this is by far my favorite mission of all of them. And even when I'm demoing games, this is usually my go-to one, just because I like killing things. I'm a very offensive-minded guy. And when introducing the game, I think other people really want to kill stuff too. So I think this mission is perfect for an introductory one. Though I will say, I very rarely, if ever, remember to give that extra victory point when I activate my commander. I just get too excited about killing stuff, and I just don't do it. I can vouch for that. (laughs) I think all y'all can vouch for that one. Not Brett. (laughs) But, you know, I think it's a lot to, uh, you know, the more elite type list for this thing. Gives me a good chance to bust out my Mollers of Bone. And 
well, not so much Giants, but I do like the Giants. You know, the extra attack dice doesn't really help me that much in this one. But, you know, I like them. It helps you. It helps you to don't miss. <laughs> yeah. Well, not yeah, only that, don't yeah, forget well. that a marked unit will give you an extra victory point when they kill something. So marking a giant, though it may seem to some people like an easy no-brainer, uh, in my opinion, it's still a decent play to mark them. But it's definitely not like don't think that you're gonna have no repercussions by marking a giant because uh, they are definitely very killy and you're going to possibly give them some extra victory points if you, you know, if you let that giant get in and kill some units. And this also requires me to actually like make my charges to actually get to combat, which God knows that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> now, one change I wish they would kind of make in this mission is uh some penalty for uh I don't know, being too close to your deployment zone or or too close to your board edge. So, like, I don't know, if you start your activation within 12 inches of your board edge uh, starting round two or something, you're worth an uh, additional victory point. And the reason for that is uh, it'll prevent people from castling. I can't tell you how many times I've played this mission where, you know, people just kind of castle up in their own deployment and... uh, Sometimes it's uh, beneficial, and I know some people swear by it, uh, but it just this is not a game where castling works very well and makes for a very boring game. And I know sometimes it's the strategic thing to do, uh, and I can't fault anyone for if that's part of their strategy. Uh, but if they made an incentive to make sure you didn't, uh, I think it would just increase the overall like uh, enjoyability of the um the mission while uh, taking away that choice of castling um, and make people kind of think a little more out of the box uh, with positioning and where to send their units or something. Um, Because if you have to be 12 inches away from your board edge and they have to be 12 inches away from their board edge and then each tray is five and a half inches, that's uh, 12 plus 12 plus 11 makes you what... uh, 13 inches away from each other. I mean, you're close enough to each other now that, you know, anything can happen. Um, but, Targaryen. Uh, yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, 13 inches is definitely within Ooh. the realm of infantry, too. Uh, yeah, but it's in the realm of the whole... B- all of them can get to me. It yeah, was but awful. I think infantry infantry benefit from that more than Cav do because Cav have much <sighs> much longer threat range. I got an island. <laughs> so, uh, what do you think, uh, Justin, about this mission? Uh, like I said, Targaryens. Uh, I like the mission a lot. Honestly, usually it's uh, I don't know how much merit I put into it when it comes to like competitive play because it's very very swingy. Uh, for instance, my last two games, this is how the score ended up going. Uh, the first one, I was, what, like two points to like eight, and then, no, two points to like six, and then I lost the game because he got a crap ton of points. But we played it out to see what would have happened, and if it would have gone to the next turn, I would have had a very, very, very good chance of winning the game because I would have gotten like eight points myself. Uh, and then the last game I played, I got 
I was using four bastards girls. I'm going to admit to that out loud. It didn't go too well. <laughs> Two units in like one activation because of overrun. Um, and so that's half my army already. I'm like, oh my god. And it was like both of my marks units, I think. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> uh, and there was nothing I could do. But I ended up killing... Uh, by activating my commander enough and killing enough unit of his marked units to where it ended 10 to 8, even though realistically I got annihilated because I'm pretty sure I got table, <laughs> if I remember correctly. Uh, and he still had like full vets and full outriders, so there was uh, there was no hope of winning if it were any other scenario. But it ended up 10 to 10 to 8, and realistically I should have lost that like 10 to 0. So I think it's it's highly swingy. I think it's very fun, though, because it is wonderful. Like, if you have Braun and Bastards Girls, and for whatever reason they mark him, whoo, it's a bad day. Eight well, shots, he could, be, uh, he could be my nephew and mark uh, Knight's Castle oh, Rocks. With, oh, that uh, poor guy. Rides. I felt bad. <laughs> I, I got eight points in, one, in the first activation of the game. I yeah, felt bad. It was, it was really bad. I was a bad person. I'm going straight to hell for that one. Uh, if just anyone listening, and that was a friendly game. Uh, that's you know, granted, our local we allow the um, Kickstarter units, but that was a friendly game. So that was another reason why the mountain that rides was allowed. And um, my uh, my nephew realized his mistake uh, after he did it, but. Uh, uh, one upside to that game was it ended so quickly you got to start a new game like, can... almost instantly. <laughs> it ended in three in three turns, essentially. Like, first round, the game was over. Yeah. Uh, not yeah. even three. I'm pretty sure you won second round. <laughs> no, no, three turns. <laughs> oh, yeah, three turns. <laughs> I had ten points in three turns. And it was not three of my turns. It was my turn, his turn, my turn. <laughs> but uh yeah so fire and blood definitely uh, <laughs> definitely uh try to make more of an elite type list uh free folk can definitely still do it like chris was saying Follow- followers of bone now are amazing and you know there are six points seven points you know if you choose if you're taking the specialty unit nine possibly eight nine point uh, investment but uh especially in a mission like this you know it would definitely be worth it there'll definitely be some hard hard hitting guys um even uh even if they're more defensive you know marking like wardens uh in this mission is still kind of scary because now you're pushing their offensive power uh, you know to be something to not you know laugh at you know you're still hitting on fours but you know nine dice that's like Renly especially if you don't give them any other good options and they you know if you have the Stormcrow lieutenants uh, in there uh, I mean you're having what ten dice with Sundering uh, it can get pretty crazy so uh, if you take the money definitely uh yeah, well, if you have Alistair and Peter, uh, you're gar- unless they also have if they have Varys and or also have Alistair, uh, you're guaranteed the money uh, five rounds in the game. <laughs> I guess they could have uh, what's her name, uh, Mar not not Marjorie, uh, the old lady, uh, Olena. Yeah, Olena. 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 But, uh, yeah, so it's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, 
Uh, also, this mission has 18-inch deployment. Don't always think that you have to deploy right up to the 18-inch mark, especially if your opponent has ranged units, uh, or maybe if you have ranged units, you're going to want to. But it leaves a lot up to chance of first-turn charges, first-turn shooting you, especially if you don't go first. Uh, so I like to deploy to where... I'm at least 18 inches away from them. So if they're deploying right up on the 18-inch line, uh, or mark, I will deploy at 12. If they're if they're deploying at 12, I'll deploy at 18. So it all just depends. Um, I don't like being super far away, but I just don't like being within that like 12-inch uh, gap, or even possibly 14, because you know uh, a 12-inch range unit with a 2-inch shift gets you with a free attack first turn and that could be pretty devastating. So uh, keep that in mind that you don't have to deploy right up on the line. Um, and deploying even just like an inch back could be a big deal. So um, I think that uh, kind of wraps up everything for the um, all the missions. Uh, going to announce you don't give the... A, you, don't, you don't give a shit what ahead. I have to say about this scenario? <laughs> oh, I just figured you talked enough this whole time that, you know, you're out of words. Brett, I'm chill. <laughs> I'm just messing What do you think, you. Brett? Uh, what do you think? No, no, I don't want to know what he thinks. Well, I mean, now since you asked. I don't either, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, this scenario is really, it's really fun. It's a good old classic uh, bloodbath scenario. Um, I wasn't too sure how I felt about the plus two attack guys to it initially. Um, I've pretty well warmed up to it because it's like, yeah, they can build this super elite list and bring it to that mission. But, you know, at some point, like you guys were saying with the Wardens, <laughs> name any unit that you want to have two more attack dice. Like, I name one that you want. Poor fellow. I really want, I really want you to be better at killing me. Poor fellow. I don't know, man. They can get that. They can get that plus one to hit card from the Sparrow. Uh, Ooh, plus they're one hitting hit on thundering and they're hitting Sure, they can fours. hit okay. Yeah, but, but know, that's you, probably the best you unit to that? give it to. That's the best unit in the I, game to give it to, though. I mean, it's not great. I'm going to give it to you, okay? You got it. <laughs> it ain't fair. But, but... <laughs> no, our, our good friend, uh, John Hurley, um, he makes this disgusting list, and it goes back to what Dave was talking about. His fire and blood list that I had to face was uh, Eddard's Honor Guard, two Tully Cav and Great Axes when Great Axes were the bee's knees. Uh, they still had Mighty Cleave. Yeah, because he had a Sworn Sword Captain in them. So it was like, um, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. Like, what choice do you have to make? And it, You just uh, went over our swearing limit, Brett. We're allowed one yeah, I'm sorry. swear an episode. Man, now we I can't apologize. swear for the next, like, four episodes. God damn it. No. Sorry, guys. Five episodes. No, it's <laughs> terrible. Um, sometimes you're going to get in a situation like that, and I I can't even begin to tell you what to mark. Um, I marked the honor guard and the great axes in this situation, but it was like, no matter what I marked, it was a terrible decision. But uh, no, I think the scenario is really fun. You're really going to have to look at what your opponent is bringing, because I think generally when people when people see that this, this mission is there, they're going to have at least one of their lists just loaded with elite units, and they're going to make you make really bad decisions. My personal suggestion is don't mark a ranged unit. 
or a unit that can shoot and get away from you. Like when I play Night's Watch, people mark my trackers. They're, you're doing me a supreme favor by marking my trackers. Bats, um, girls, vets. Obviously, you wouldn't want to mark a vet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I think ranged in general, you don't want to mark them. I don't mark Lannister crossbows. And I, I think it has to do with being able to uh, take multiple attacks with the with the free attack spot and not having to be engaged with you to do that. So especially a long-range unit, there's no way I'm marking any long-range unit. Uh, Stark Bowman come to mind. There's no freaking way I'm what getting a range unit. Crow archers? Maybe those guys. No, I mean, <laughs> even them. No, they, I mean, if you play them right, you, they can attack for free with the bag or the sword. So one way or another, they're getting a free shot. So... I know they hit on fours and, and, and you clown on them, but I don't really want to take 18 shots. You know what I mean? So, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's it. I think you guys pretty well covered everything else, so I'm just going to shut the hell up and let you get back to the Okay. No, everyone said they want you to talk for 20 more minutes. Everyone's what? I didn't say that. Voted. No, I got work in the morning. Oh, wait. All of Facebook um, said it. Uh, no, never mark a unit that has boldness and courage. So, Renly or Attachment John or Jamie the Young Lion, don't don't give a unit plus four attack dice. Just don't do it. I think you should do it. <laughs> now I'm done. Now I'm done. Uh, He's I done. would say I would, uh, I would mark John Commander in vets because I'm already ignoring that unit anyways, so... Uh, he doesn't have boldness and courage. It's his attachment. Oh yeah, I know. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, it, it's it seems like you know because vets would then have ten attacks at that point, and you could increase it to twelve with the sword. You could make them pretty nasty, but because I'm already kind of ignoring them, I wouldn't mind uh, marking them depending on what else they had in the list. But anything else you wanted to add, uh, Brett? No, I'm good. Um, I generally yeah. agree with what you say. My my opponents generally do mark the Jon Snow veterans, so I think you're on the, the right track there, at least with what my opponents do. What? Dave's right? That never happens. I know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Sorry, I freaked myself right. out. Dave, announce our two lucky winners. All right, so okay, we, uh, we did a... <laughs> We did a uh, um, like a kind of a likes uh, um, like drive drive yeah you can call it that and uh, for every hundred additional uh, mark that we hit so at the, for this um, one we hit two hundred and then three hundred so we're giving out uh, two different unit boxes from I think I have like thirty unit boxes to choose from um, and then Brett has some more options if, uh, if there's nothing in there that uh, uh, you guys wanted um, but. We're going to continue to do this for every 100 likes, so just keep the likes coming. So as soon as we hit four, we'll give out a unit box. At 500, I'm going to give out a unit box and a uh, Stark or Lannister starter half of their choice. Uh, It will be two different people, though. So uh, at 500, we'll give one person um, uh, the starter half or uh, a unit box. Now, if you have no use for a starter half and you win it, um, I will let you pick uh, two unit boxes instead. 
from what we have available. Um, so just keep that in mind. So uh, for our 200 and 300 mark, uh, <clears throat> our winners are Colin McGill and Max Earl Anstey. Uh, I apologize if I said either of your names wrong. I will be reaching out to you guys so you guys can kind of pick uh, between what we got. Um, and then I will try to send out as soon as I can uh, and get your addresses and whatnot. And uh, shipping will be on us, uh, even if you're out of uh, the United States. Um, and if it costs more than $1, uh, I'll make Brett pay for it. So, uh, yeah. So... That kind of wraps up everything. Uh, congrats. What was that? I said that sounds pretty fair to me. Yeah, I, I thought so too. Um, I took a poll, and there was only one vote, and it said that you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just to me. So, you tell me my vote doesn't count? <laughs> no, that was your vote. You just oh, you okay. forgot to vote. That's That's what happened. <laughs> I forgot to publish I forgot to publish the poll and I was the only one to vote so it but I didn't have time to fix it. So we just <laughs> What a nice guy. So, yeah, I know. The nicest there is. At least you know, for what it's worth, I'm the nicest uh, guy out there to Brett. You can you should see what everyone else does to him. It's, it's pretty He's bad. the nicest one in this group sorry. too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, do you guys have any uh, shout-outs you want to do um, to anyone, anything, any tournaments uh, uh, in the future after all this is down or anything at all? Keep it real, everybody. Um, nothing official. Um, I'm sure that everybody is going to be, like I said, busting at the seams to get into an event, so... It should be pretty fun when this all clears up and everybody's allowed to play. I'll just do a general shout-out. Um, I know that people are bored and looking for content. If I forget some people, I'm really sorry. It's not because I don't love you. Uh, Chase from On the Table Gaming obviously does tons of content. He does a lot of really good stuff for the community. He has taken over the a Song of Ice and Fire Builder website. He's really streamlined it. If you haven't looked at it, go check it out. Um, he's working on getting the new Baratheons in there already. Uh, Chase does a lot of work for the community. Um, within that little organization as well, uh, you've got Ben with Blitz Minis, who puts out tons of video content, really high quality. The Mythico Studios guys stream a live game on Thursdays. They won't be doing that now, but we're, they and others are working on getting some tabletop simulator games working so that you guys can get your fix <clears throat> in that regard. Um, Yannick Burr with uh, Tabletop Warden does a lot of great content and podcasts as well. And I, I'm not going to keep going, so that's that's my sponsorships for the day. Uh, those are the ones that pay, they're the ones that paid me anyway. Sorry, guys. No, that's my chance. Everybody decides to spread the love to the community. Uh, check out other check out people's channels. Subscribe. There's tons of content for this game, so just spread it around and see if, see what everybody else has to say about the game besides <clears throat> us and me. I just talk way the fuck too much. Just ignore me. I don't. We're at seven, Dave. You lost count. Yeah. 
We'll just say 10. <laughs> I think it's really just Brett fired. Yeah. Sorry, Brett. I tried. Uh, I fought for you. I will add uh, anyone out there that has uh, like a channel or any sort of content creator that they like, uh, definitely, you know, consider uh, uh, supporting them in some way, either if they have a Patreon or some other like way to, uh, or even just sharing uh, out their channel, let other people know they exist. Uh, There's some people, you know, still, you know, we've been doing this for like two months now and uh, some people that, uh, still didn't even know we existed. So just let people know in your gaming group and just online that all these different places, you know, exist that they can get uh, some of this content from. Uh, share ours out. Uh, currently, we're not taking any sort of like donations or anything at the time. But definitely, the best thing you can do for us is just share out our channel, like the page, especially if you want to get us to that next mark so we can give out some more free stuff. We definitely like giving back to the community and, you know, giving some free product out there. So definitely uh, just share, you know, that's uh, share our channel out. That's the best thing you can do for us at the moment. We might consider uh, like a Patreon or something <clears throat> in the future, but it's not really something we've talked about. Uh, so, yeah, in the meantime, just share out the channel, and that's definitely the way uh, to support us. Uh, what thank episode you, are we on, guys? Uh, we're on, I want to say, episode uh, 13, 14. Oh, that's, uh, uh, that's like three and a half months. Oh, yeah, I guess you're one right. Last, uh, t- one last final thing on a very serious note with no joking. Um, your local game stores really, really need you right now. So reach out to those guys and see if they have some way to deliver you some things. Uh, stock up on your paints if you can afford to do it. Uh, stock up on some paintbrushes. Uh, the local game stores really, really, really need to help right now because they, uh, at least in Indiana and I'm sure in Illinois where you guys are, they've been closed. So if you can do anything to help them out through this time uh, so that you have a place to go back and play, uh, they've supported you throughout the game, so do what you can to support them right now. Yeah, I second that completely. I've been making it a a uh, very diligent point to order anything through my store, even though it takes more time. Yep, because remember, you know, you you only have a place to, you know, play publicly because of them usually. Uh, playing in your basement is cool, and I've done it uh, for a long time, and I've, you know, met at people's houses to, like, have some beers and stuff, and that's awesome. But uh, usually you don't meet new people and you don't expand your game that way. Uh, it's very hard to get new people into your group if that's the only way you do it. So I, you know, gaming clubs are definitely the way to uh, meet new people and to, to grow the community. So uh, without, you know, your local game stores, uh, that would definitely make things a lot harder. And the last thing you want is for your, you know, some of your games to kind of die off because the community just isn't there. Uh, and that's why I like to push for this game so hard. I know it's growing even without me, you know, having to do anything. But, you know, if I can even make it grow a little faster, I, you know, I enjoy doing that simply for that, um, to make sure that there's always going to be a group of guys that, uh, or just people in general that uh, will be able to, you know, play the game and help the community grow. So, yeah, I definitely um, agree with you, Brett. Just 
So uh, make sure you guys are trying to support your local game store in any way possible. I know <laughs> going online, you can find you know some better deals, but really ask yourself, you know, is the amount you're saving worth it? I understand if you're saving like hundreds of dollars. I mean, hobbies aren't cheap, uh, so I can't really blame people. But just keep in mind how you know how much. Uh, you know, you're helping a store by buying from them instead. And sometimes, you know, they're they're willing to, you know, make a deal if they can. Um, I I try to avoid asking for a deal if, like, something's way cheaper online. Just remember that online, they're able to avoid a lot of the costs, like the overhead and a lot of the things, and so that's why they can make things cheaper. Uh, <clears throat> online is not providing you a place to play unless that online is also a game store. But even then, if they're a game store, you know, halfway across the country, you're helping their community grow and so that their community can continue to play at a place, but yours won't. Uh, and if everyone had the mindset of just order online from, like, some eBay place, uh, eventually your shop's probably going to go under, unfortunately. So, you know, not to, like, guilt trip anyone into buying from their shop, but just just try to think about it next time you're, you're making a purchase. Uh, I always try to, you know, tell myself when I see something online that's, like, five bucks off, it's like, well, I'd rather give my money to someone I know, you know. So... Uh, just, I guess, another way, you know, think of it that way is that, you know, you're able to give that money to someone you know rather than some random person that you've never met on the Internet. So, I don't know, just uh, something to keep in mind, you know, now that Brett has gotten us off on this tangent. Thank you for that. But it was a good tangent. Because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> only when um, Only when I win. <laughs> but that's literally always. <laughs> but Brett always wins. If it wasn't don't go spreading like that. We wouldn't know each other. He wasn't. He didn't cheat. Oh, Chris has a point. Chris said if it wasn't for game stores, we wouldn't know each other. Yep, <clears throat> that is very true. True words were never spoken. Support your local game stores. Yep. Just think about all the people that you would not know if your local game stores or store uh, did not exist. Don't tell so, me that. I want to know, Brett, my life would be so much better. Yeah. <laughs> you got to take the good with the bad, though. That's true. I wouldn't have met Chris, <laughs> my Jolly Green Giant friend. I, I, all right. I can't, so, I can't, you guys, we need to say goodbye. We're bad at goodbyes. Yeah. You know, you're, See you you're bad at goodbyes. <laughs> All right. Thank uh thank you guys for all for coming on, all you all of my co hosts uh that, you know, make it a point to be on pretty much every single week. Uh and thank you all guys for tuning in and listening. Uh we do this for you. Uh you know, I know you you have a lot of other things to do, but you know, take the time out of your day to listen to our show and I you know, we all really appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening in. This is the small council and it is dismissed. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.